1: Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy. And this week on the show, we do not have a guest. We're uh, you know kind of easing out of holiday mode here on the Baseball America College Podcast. We're going to you know use this opportunity kind of to wrap up a lot of 2021, some loose ends from that, and start looking ahead to 2022 more earnestly and as we move forward here as we get closer and closer to the season which is uh coming up quite quickly now we're closing in on like a month from opening day and not 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 too terribly long uh we'll will obviously start really previewing the 2022 season but i think today joe and i are going to uh put put one last bow on 2021 so that's the plan today on the baseball america college podcast which is presented by ref soto Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, we're, uh, we're here, it's the new year. You are actually at um, the American Baseball Coaches Association Convention, which starts later today as we record this on a Thursday. Uh, and while that's notable because it in some ways kind of kicks off the new year traditionally in the, in the college baseball calendar, uh, also uh, you are in a hotel where there's construction going on outside. And so, listener, if you hear some drilling at some point, uh, that is... That is what's happening. Joe is not renovating his home. He is in uh, noisy Chicago this morning.
0: I picked up some extra work. I'm actually it's actually me drilling (laughs) like they handed me a drill in here. And they're like, your hotel is free if you can Yeah, some some uh, construction going on. I don't think in the tower that I'm in, I think it's in the tower next, but they're connected. And so it kind of reverberates through the floor on the levels above me. So it's not overwhelmingly loud um Teddy can attest we did a sound check kind of before we jumped on here but yes if you hear a little background noise my apologies um in addition to some street noise you know I am in downtown Chicago so you know I'm you know up, up fairly high but you can still hear some street noise so apologies in advance if any of that leaks through but yes I'm here at at ABCA um you know looking forward to getting back to ABCA it's been a couple of years and the last time they did it in 2020, January of 2020, was my first time ever being there. So I don't have a lot of experience to to draw from on that, but, but looking forward to, to getting back and, um, you know, going into uh, the showroom floor and kind of seeing some of the, the cool new stuff that all the companies associated with the game are, are bringing out. And, you know, speaking of our presenting sponsor, Soto, they usually have a pretty meet set up in the in the showroom floor and are sh- showcasing some cool technology and so i'm looking forward to, to stopping by there and, and seeing what they've got um but everyone else as well um that's always a cool experience and of course seeing some um some coaches that uh, some of whom i may have seen last season some of whom i may not have seen in a while some of whom i may be meeting for the first time in person um, i will have to maybe briefly uh, lower and raise my mask so they recognize me um because you know we are going to be masked which is which is good with the the uh the Omicron variant going around and see Chicago, um, you know, clamping down a little bit, but uh, it is it will make it to where, uh, you know, I'm not sure exactly who will be able to recognize me with mask on and not, but we will, we will soon find out so. Um, so yeah, it is a little bit of a kickoff to the season it, you know, I, I think for both you and I Teddy, it has really started to hit home how close we are because you and I have, have really hit the ground running on preseason content generation now and um, so that that's it and you know it, it, people. When the season is getting ready to start, I'll have the SIDs, you SIDs, know, the media relations folks, at the schools kind of joke with me and say, oh, you, you guys are about to get busy, huh? And like the funny thing about it is, is like, yes, opening weekend in particular is busy because we're trying to do a lot. Um, certainly the start of the season is busy in general, but it's actually not as busy as the month before the season where we are hurriedly trying to finish up all of our season preview content and get it up in a reasonable amount of time so you listener can can read all of it. So, in some ways, the start of the season is a little bit of a, a relief for me, anyway.
1: Yeah, the uh, the coming month is really almost as busy as it gets, and as we start prepping the the actual college preview issue, which you'll see in your mailbox, if you are a Baseball America subscriber, and if not, uh, there's still time to uh, to go over to BaseballAmerica.com and rectify that before we uh, before we ship this issue. Um, yeah, that'll show up. Late January, early February. I, why am I even saying late January? It'll show up early February. Uh, it's nothing you promises we can't keep. Yeah, I, I know <laughs> when the deadline is. It, 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 it'll be late. It'll be uh, it'll be early February. Um, and, and you know, so getting that out the door always feels great. And then, but then it's like, oh wait, there's still like two more weeks of preview content to, to get to. So we're. Uh, you know, we, we come out of the, the holidays and, and absolutely have to uh have to hit the ground running and abca is is traditionally a, a part of that. So I'm glad you are able to uh to experience that this year. I am I am not, um, but we'll uh we are we are well represented with uh with Joe Healy there at the convention. Um Joe, I wanted to start today uh talking about our 2021 assistant coach of the year um an award that you know uh, we we kind of have struggled at times to find a, the right place in the calendar to uh to announce it this year we uh we actually waited until the new year to announce our 2021 assistant coach of the year but that's okay we'll uh we'll, we'll we're shopping for the right spot in the in the calendar and we're trying this one out we'll we'll see if we like it next mm. year if we we it. go earlier you know it's uh it's an experiment Um, anyway, this year's assistant coach of the year is, uh, North Carolina state's Chris Hart, who has been, uh, you know, the, the lead assistant at NC state for, for a long time now brought in some, you know, spearheaded the, the recruiting efforts some for some outstanding, uh, classes over the years, you know, brought in, you know, great players like Trey Turner, Will Wilson, um, you know, and of course, helped uh north carolina state to uh to a fantastic 2021 season of course that ended abruptly and unfortunately in omaha uh but you know the, the the award is is about far more than just helping them uh you know on field this season because being an assistant coach is is about a lot more than that uh joe you wrote the the story that accompanied the award, so why don't you uh why don't you tell us some of the highlights of,
0: of your your talk with chris hart yeah, it was kind of a fun story to work on because for those who don't know, and if you follow college baseball, you probably do know, but, you know, talking in particular to Elliot Aitman is is always kind of a, especially when you're not talking specifically about his team, if you're just spitballing stuff or he's telling stories, like he really gets going. Um, So that's always kind of fun. And in talking about Coach Hart and how he hired him and uh, how he's developed as a coach, like that was fun for him to talk about, I think. And so I think that came out in the stories he was telling. And there were a couple of interesting things just in, in that piece there where the hire, you know, he, he first comes on as, a, as an ops guy, uh, Chris Hart does. Um, and so he makes the hire, uh, Elliot does, largely on the recommendation of Eddie Biedenbach, who is an NC State basketball letterman. Um, for those who in the state of North Carolina probably know him best as a longtime basketball coach uh, at UNC Asheville. Um, Chris Hart's family, he comes from a family of, of career athletic administrators. And so I guess there was a connection with Eddie Biedenbach and the Hart family who had worked together. And so, you know, Elliot says he gets a call from Eddie Biedenbach and says, I, you know, I I see that, or you have a a guy who applied for your ops job named Chris Hart. Um, and I'm not telling you to hire him. I just want you to to interview him and and give him a chance. Um, and then, and then coach Avent, you know, says basically, but the next sentence out of his mouth was, but when you hire him. (laughs) you're going to have one of the best guys available for that job. Um, So, you know, he, he knew that he was the right guy for the job. And and so that's kind of how it started. And and I asked coach Hart, what his expectations were. And he said, honestly, you know, I thought I'd be here for another couple of years. I'd go back to Florida, you know, and coach somewhere in Florida. You know, he's from the state he played at Florida state under Mike Martin, Uh, his one year of coaching before he got to NC state was at a junior college in Florida. So his roots were really there. And so I, you know, his expectations were that he was going to go back home as he put it. And and of course now, you know, he says the funny thing is now like this is home. Um, this is where I want to be. And um, you know, he wants to retire at NC State. Um, you know, he wants to he wants to be there long term. This is where he wants to uh to be. And so uh those were kind of interesting little background tidbits to get from from his hiring and and you know, of course the the results um, are speak for themselves. I mean. Obviously on the field, NC State has been as consistent as, as really any program can be since since he's come on. Uh, just just twice if they missed the NCAA tournament. Um, which is much fewer. You may you may think, well, there are a lot of power programs that have probably had similar runs. And there are some, but not many. To only miss the NCAA tournament twice in in, in two decades is is a really pretty impressive feat. And of course they've been to Omaha a couple of times. But what he's really brought in talking through things for this piece was for one, it's the development piece. Um, you can really set your watch every year to NC State having impressive position player groups. Like, we just know they're going to hit. We know they're going to field the ball. And, and some of that is Coach Avent, particularly on the infield defense piece. Um, but you know their position players are going to be really solid. They're going to get a bunch of guys drafted. And then that, that is just going to continue into seemingly into perpetuity. And that's a lot of that is is Coach Hart. And some of those guys come to campus as you know, uh, already largely developed players and, and they, they continue to be stars, but some of those guys are really development projects. And one of them in the story that I talked about was Andrew Kisner, who came to NC state as a third baseman. And, you know, coach Hart came to coach Avent and said, Hey, I think, I think Kisner could be a catcher. And, you know, Avent was just kind of like, okay, you know, um, and so they went forward. And of course, you know, now we know the story, Andrew Kisner, solid catcher at NC state for a couple of years, gets drafted by the Cardinals and now he's in the big leagues. Um, so, you know, would he have been a, a perfectly good third baseman and hit enough to, to get a shot in pro baseball? Probably. But is he a big leaguer if he doesn't make the move to catcher? Who knows? And so the, those are the kind of little differences that he makes there. And then, of course, the the recruiting aspect matters. And, and that was something that I think probably surprised some people when they made Chris Hart uh, in charge of the your recruiting coordinator to put him in charge of recruiting because he's not for, for people who who don't know. Chris Hart is kind of the opposite of, of Coach Aven. Coach Aven is gregarious and chatty and is always talking somebody up, and not just the field, he, just out and about. He's he's always shaking hands and, and talking with folks. And Chris Hart is a little more reserved. He's a lot quieter, um, and you don't typically associate those types of personalities with big time recruiters. Um, and there were you know um, you know concerns outside the program, not so much inside the program, but outside the program of is he going to be a good enough recruiter to hold on to that job? And the proof again is in the pudding with the classes they continue to bring in the first round picks that they've recruited and then developed and so as Chris Hart has been given more and more responsibility over the years at NC State he has continued to excel in those roles and and now um, you know look you can kind of read between the lines and I wrote this in the in the story you can you know every everyone is being mum about it because nobody wants to overstep but I mean let me put it this way Chris Hart says he wants to retire at NC State And Elliot Avent is closer to retirement than he is to the beginning of his career. And so you can read between the lines about where that is probably going, if you made me predict. Um, And so there's a lot of evidence there that suggests that he will excel in that role, too. And that's not just us saying that, you know, Teddy, last year, you one of the questions or you ask it routinely. But last year, when when, when you asked other coaches anonymously um, in a survey, like who are the assistant coaches that are going to make the best head coaches, Chris Hart tied for first in that category. So it's not just us saying that. It's not just us looking at results and making an assumption. Other coaches see it too. Um, so just a, a fun story to do for a well-deserved honor for, for a coach who's just kind of been quietly plugging away for, for two decades in Raleigh.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, remarkable how long he's been there. First of all, I think that that's, uh, that, that's a big part of this is that, you know, assistant coaches, Come and go a lot, you know. Less so in baseball than in, in some other sports. But you you look at uh, a lot of of you know other ACC programs, and the ACC is is a little more consistent in, in terms of their coaching staffs. I, I feel like than than some other conferences for whatever reason. But they uh, you know assistants come and go. But you know Chris Hart has has really been at, at NC State for a really long time, and uh, he's he's done a, a huge he, he's just been a huge part of, of that success. And, you know, you see the way I, like, like you talked about the position players, you're, they're always going to have them. Uh, and, and they've, they've had a lot of shortstops. You know, I really trust, uh, you know, if, if NC state is bringing in a shortstop right now, I just, I trust that they're going to be really good because uh, you know, Chris Hart is, was one of the first guys that, that figured out that Trey Turner was going to be awesome. Um, you know, he was drafted out of high school, but he wasn't a prominent high school player. Uh, he was picked in like the 20th round or something by, by the pirates there just was not a whole lot of buzz about Trey Turner before he got to NC state, but NC state had figured out that he was going to be really good. That's, that's a credit to Chris Hart. And there are, there are a number of stories like that. That's maybe the most prominent one. And one of the first ones, uh, in his tenure, but that it just keeps happening. They keep developing. And uh they, they keep rolling. And um, you know, what you see in terms of the consistency is uh, you know, he's he's no small part of the the puzzle there at NC State. And and yeah, like you said, Joe, um he he was voted by head coaches. Um, you know, he tied with uh, Virginia's Kevin McMullen as the assistant coach with the you know brightest future as a head coach. Um and, you know, at this point, you just kind of have to expect that if he's going to become a head coach, it's going to be in Raleigh. There's no sort of formal plan of succession because, you know, Elliot Avon is not ready to retire yet. Uh, but you saw what happened down the road in Chapel Hill where, you know, Scott Forbes took over from Mike Fox when, when he retired. And what happened at Florida State when Mike Martin retired and what happened at Miami when, uh, when Jim Morris retired. Uh, you know, this is another situation in the ACC where I would fully anticipate something like that to uh, to to be the plan in, in place when there's you know when, when the time comes for the longtime head coach to to step down. Now, it doesn't always work out that way, and any number of factors between now and, and that time could could play a role. But uh, they there is no reason for NC State to to look very far for their next head baseball coach when that time comes uh and at this point i i don't know that chris hart is is itching to move before uh you know that time would come so you know we'll see how how that plays out down the line but for right now i mean he's doing a, a fantastic job as an assistant coach there and has been doing so for for some time and i am happy that we were uh were able to to recognize him this year as as a the baseball america assistant coach of the year
0: yeah, it's nice to my my last word on it will be that it, it is nice that not that you know there are there are assistant coaches out there that. This is not taking anything away from any other candidates or anyone else who's wanted I guess is what i'm trying to say, but I, I think it is kind of cool that. You know, we gave this award to a to a coach that's been plugging away for a couple decades, and I think because of his personality, because he was in you know these quiet because he's been in Raleigh for so long now he, he's. He's someone that just doesn't always get the attention that other assistant coaches do. Um, so I, I take a little bit of pride for, for us being able to, uh, be, you know, honoring him in this way and, and give the award to a coach that just kind of has quietly been keeping at it for as long as he has um, because it's because his name isn't out there as much as some others. doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily a reflection of anything that he's doing or not doing in the job. It's just kind of how the, the way it goes.
1: Yeah, for some time this award was like an SEC award almost, much like other things in college baseball. There was there was a pretty significant run of SEC coaches. Now it's been there's been a pretty good run of ACC coaches lately uh, with the award. We need to maybe find a way to uh, you know mix some of that up. But uh, it, it he he has in, in some ways flown under the radar, and I think that sometimes NC State. You know, because of the consistency, you you just like they they fade to the background a little bit more than they should because it's like, well, okay, of course NC State is again a top twenty team. Of course they're doing that again. Why wouldn't they be doing that? But you know, just because they don't have you know a a gaudy you know forty year streak of going to the NCAA tournament like Florida State doesn't mean that you know the consistency that you're seeing from NC State is. uh, anything less um, you know it's not as impressive as that but but it, it is still worthy of attention they they have they have been that kind of consistent program and uh, again like we said Chris Hart a big part of of uh, why that's been able to happen there in Raleigh so congratulations uh, to him and we uh, we're, we're looking forward to seeing what NC State has to do this year because again they they look like they've got another really solid team that you know, might be in the hosting mix. That it, it's just another, you know, the another one of their the the teams that we've come to expect coming out of uh, out of that program. Uh, all right, Joe. Want to hit on some other headlines from the the twenty twenty one season? You know, just touch on a few things to remember uh, the the twenty twenty one year, I should say, not just the season. To remember the year by, uh, as we again enter twenty twenty two. Uh, So we'll get to that here in a second. But first, check this out.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed.
1: All right, Joe, um as uh as the calendar flips to the new year natural time to look back the old year a lot happened in college baseball this year uh we're gonna gonna just touch on some of these headlines here as we again wave goodbye to 2021 um now uh looking ahead to uh to 2022 obviously for me um you know I, I, the the time, you actually have a college World series, which of course we didn't in 2020, but anytime you have a national champion, you're gonna kind of remember the season and the year for the national champion. So for me, I think when I look back at uh, at this year, I'm probably first gonna remember Mississippi State. I think a lot of people will also remember what happened in Omaha with NC State. Uh, but, but for me, I think what, what's really gonna last is Mississippi State finally winning that first national championship, not just in program history, but in school history for, for team sport, but, you know, especially in program history, a, a, a program that takes itself, um, you know, I, I was going to say takes itself as seriously as it does, but, you know, just like it is, is the kind of program that you would expect to be a national championship program, the investment, the fan support, uh, the history that they have there, the, the fact that they didn't have a national title before this was, uh, um you know a little bit surprising so now to to have seen that that program now be able to to dogpile in omaha for the first time i that 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 i think is what's gonna gonna stick with me uh, as, as we move on from from this year
0: yeah i think i think that's right i would i would kind of um, split the hair here by saying that i think that's the the story that i will remember most as a 2021 story because for all the reasons you mentioned, it's a it's a very proud program that has a fan base as good as any in the sport, finally getting a national title after some near misses in their history and, and really being one of a handful of the best programs to never to, to have not won one at up to that point. So a crowning achievement for for that program. And uh, you know, uh, you know, for all of the um dramatic runs to Omaha that, you know, I think of, of 2018, you know, that dramatic run to Omaha for Mississippi state, like this one was, was, I don't want to say routine, but like they, they just looked the part kind of from start to finish. And so, um, and there was something kind of profound about that. Like they just, they really left no doubt. There was nothing, nothing fluky about it. There was nothing wonky about it. They just were the, were the best team when it came right down to it. So there was that, but I, you know, what I will say is I think I will also never forget the COVID NC state story. Um, but I think that one's just going to be one where that's kind of like a, almost a separate category of memory there, um, because that was a college baseball does not permeate the national sports um, n- news cycle very often. And I, I I don't like that it was this story. You know, I, I sorry for NC State fans. We just talked about your assistant coach winning an award and, you know, all of the great things about your program. And then we we kind of we do the old bait and switch on you and start talking about this again. but. But I mean, it is rare that college baseball, um, it becomes a national sports story or just a national general news story. And, and that's what that was. Um, there are so many just uncanny Valley moments in that whole thing that the, you know, I, I woke up to it. I was asleep at that point. I woke up to a text message from you, Teddy, that, you know, what was happening, um, and was like, "Uh Whoa. Um, (laughs) and then like opened Twitter and like, Oh, here, here it goes. And, um you know so there there was just kind of there was that there was the, all of the fallout from it um which as we as we learn more it just you know more and more it just is it just makes you kind of you know uh slump your shoulders and sigh because it was just um uh, you know it, it we don't need to relitigate it, I guess, but it, it just does feel like that you know, there was just no no good answers for NC state like they you know that there was it was a bad situation that wasn't handled well um and it, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll parachute out and leave it at that. But so that's kind of like a separate category of story where I think I will re- remember the Mississippi state story as a specific college baseball story from the 2021 season. The NC state story is kind of like a, a separate category because it is notable that something that happened in college baseball was, was really the sports story of that day. And in, in, a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. I one one thing on NC state before we get out of that is, um, you know, at the time, it felt so, like i was confused as to how like this could be happening um the you know especially the bit about the like, how how many vaccinated players had tested positive it's like how can there be so many breakthrough cases and then as the summer played out it became very clear how that was happening and uh you know we just didn't understand what we were like sitting on the front edge of at the time Uh, with Delta. And now, of course, we've moved from Delta. Well, in some respects, we've moved from Delta to Omicron. In other respects, Delta is still happening. And um, it's, uh, it it, it was, it it caught so many people off guard, I think, just because nothing like that had had happened. Whereas if it happened now, I I think everyone would be like, oh, okay, got it. (laughs) You know, we've, we've seen this before, but that was, that was just such on the leading edge of it still. And, um, up until that point college baseball had done a pretty good job not in a not a not a perfect job but a pretty good job at avoiding anything uh terrible happening to the season again but that uh you know they're just uh a- almost almost to the finish line uh you know covid covid clipped college baseball one more time uh, yeah, so was- yes that, that that's definitely something that i everyone's going to remember i just probably will choose not to remember. Yes. Right. The the story of 21.
0: Yeah. I'm right there with you. Like I, that, that is, I think that's definitely for college baseball in general. I think this is a a little bit of a story there too, is that when you consider some of the limitations that college baseball has relative to other collegiate sports, notably football and basketball, the fact that, that COVID early in the season, COVID played a little bit of a role. I mean, you know, UNC and Kentucky had a series that I was going to go to, um, that got canceled um there were you know ask wake forest we talked to wake, tom walter several weeks ago like ask wake forest how COVID went early in this season like there were definitely moments where it interrupted things but by and large when you consider that you know, college baseball teams are not flying charter like they're going to airports with everyone else and cramming onto commercial flights to go to games now they were busing more than they were before so like i understand that that's part of the calculus here but When you consider that, you know, the travel in college baseball is just a lot more similar to everyday travel that you and I take every day. Um, The fact that college baseball had avoided it to the degree they did until that point, I think, is is impressive and and a testament probably to a lot of coaches and players taking it seriously and saying, hey, you know what, no matter how you feel about all this, like if we test positive, we're not going to play. We can't play like those. And those are just the rules. So understanding that I think was big. And so I think there were a lot of positive steps. Um, taken there. And I think you're right that if, if things like that happen today, like hopefully they don't, but I think we'd have maybe a little bit better tools at our disposal to deal with it and understand how to deal with it or avoid it. But at the time, I think you're right. I mean, it, we had gone so long um, in life and in sports without COVID being as pervasive as it had been at a, at a previous time. And it, it does feel like in terms of um, whether you want to point the finger at the NCAA or, or whoever else, like it just felt like when that situation happened in Omaha, everyone got caught flat footed. And there was no, it seemed like on the outside looking in that there was no real plan for what happened. What do we do if this happens? Um, and because the lack of answers NC State was getting, it seems like that was indeed, indeed the case. And I don't want to be too harsh about it, but it does seem like everyone kind of got flat footed because we just, it's not something that we had had to tackle to that point. And that would be a little bit different if that happened again. Now.
1: Uh, one can hope also Indeed. one can hope that we don't have to worry about that. Correct. This, yes, that, this is, Omaha. that is my greatest uh, hope. Yes. Uh, we'll get to, we'll get to resolutions and hopes uh, in a little bit here. Um, last week on Twitter, I posed the question. Uh, what's the college baseball memory you're taking with you from 2021. Uh, if you're curious, you can wander into that that tweet. It's the pin tweet at Ted Cahill. Um, see the the responses there. What you're going to find is a lot of Mississippi State fans posting pictures and videos, uh, both from uh, TD Ameritrade Park now not not TD Ameritrade Park anymore, smaller story uh, that's now Charles Schwab Park. But anyway, uh, posting photos from Omaha or Uh, Starkville at various points during the season and those are just really cool to see a lot of you know multi-generation families you know going to to watch you know a a huge moment in uh, in Mississippi State history. Uh, Also a lot of Arkansas fans talking about how they're going to remember Kevin Copps's outstanding season uh, for a really long time and uh, you know those are those are great. I also love the, you know, the the personal connections, like watching my son, uh, you know, hit a home run or, or whatever it was. There, there were several like relatives talking about how cool it was to, uh, you know, to to see their family members doing great things on the diamond, or actually a few players in here, uh, you know, posting uh, the the cool things that they had done. Um, so i uh i enjoyed looking through that perhaps uh perhaps you will as well or you enjoyed uh interacting with that so if you did thank you um joe what about you a, what, what what memory are you taking with you from uh from 2021
0: you know first of all you, you hit on something there with with mississippi state that, that i think is 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 interesting too you, you mentioned you know you got a lot of responses from Mississippi State fans of, of different moments with with family and pictures they took around the stadium and, and great individual memories of being there. And, um you know, that's one of the things I talk about the fan base being as good as any in college baseball is, is you're not, you don't, you wouldn't necessarily get that with every fan base. Most, I mean, most teams that get to Omaha have good fan support. The fans really turn out for it. But, you know, with, with Mississippi State, that's a thing where, sure, it's people who went to the school, it's the alumni, it's, but it's, it's the state, you know, the, 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 part of the state that's maroon, as opposed to, um, you know, the part that supports Ole Miss, um, that was a big deal around the state, and, like, it felt like the, you know, that entire part of the state emptied into Omaha for the last, at least the last week of the College World Series, and so, um, that is unique. Now, I'm not saying they're the only program where you get that kind of thing. Arkansas is, is, by the way, probably another one, but, um, but that was kind of unique in that situation. Kevin Copps is a good shout. I uh, I had actually, I wrote a little bit of list here and I actually failed to mention him. So I'm glad you did because him becoming what he became just an incredible story. I would give you a hipster one. One thing I wrote down here um, that I think is related to Kevin Copps is if you liked what Kevin Copps did in 2021, may I introduce you to Indiana State's Jeremy Guerrero who basically did the same thing as Kevin Copps, but was a starter and that is not a slight or, uh, you know, a benefit to one or the other, because they probably pitched a similar number of innings <laughs> with Kevin Copps as a reliever and Jeremy Gros as a starter. But this is a 50 year guy who was a pretty mediocre swingman who became the best pitcher in the Missouri Valley conference. And so a lot of people weren't paying attention to that. Maybe you saw me writing from the Missouri Valley conference in May, and maybe you paid, you know, you, you know, you, you saw his name flash across there, but uh, neat story there. I bring him up only because he's, um, well, he deserves it, but also because you, you mentioned Kevin Copps, and I was thinking about how Jeremy Guerrero was kind of the mid-major version of Kevin Copps this year. So certainly something I will remember from the season. Um, I also think I'll remember the – among other than the things you mentioned, I will also remember the wild finish to the Big 12 season. You know, came down to the final weekend. You know, Kansas State plays spoiler um, against TCU in dramatic fashion. Uh, just, you know, and, you know, you and I have talked offline about you know, was there a little bit of a hang? I mean, now TCU went on to play well in the Big 12 tournament, but, you know, they did look a little bit flat in a regional when it was all said and done. But, you know, to lose the way they did where Kansas State scores seven runs in the in the bottom of the ninth and, you know, walks it off on a, you know, uh, on a Chris Sabalos walk-off three-run home run. Like, that's just a, a rough way to you know, lose the big 12 title race, um, be a tiebreaker. And so I think I will remember that <laughs> not the least of which, because like, as you may remember from preseason last year, I thought, Hey, you know, Kansas state could be a team that could make a run to a region. I think they could be a regional team. And, you know, I was like, I was right and wrong. They, I was wrong because they didn't get there and they finished probably a couple wins shy at that, but also they won series against Texas tech and TCU. So I don't know what to make of that, um, strange season for those guys. Um, but it's one of those deals where the process was correct. The result was not what we were looking for, but to finish the big 12 season, I think is, is something else that will, will certainly hang with me because that kind of played out the way we thought in the preseason, you know, we said, Hey, there's three teams here, you know, with, with TCU and, and Texas and Texas tech that, that we all think could be teams that, that get to Omaha. And in the end, it was just the one kind of in surprising fashion with Texas, but all three of those teams really did live up to the quality we thought they were going to, to have going into the season.
1: Yeah, that ending, like the specific K State home run walking off TCU, was ridiculous. The there, I feel like there were some great walk offs this year. Um, one that springs to mind is Jalen Battles at Arkansas on a or for Arkansas on a Friday night at Louisiana Tech uh, in extra innings. La Tech opening their new ballpark and. Very excitedly welcoming Arkansas, number one Arkansas into town. And, um, everything going crazy at the Love Shack. Like all the fans, really into it. And Jalen battles, just absolutely destroying a baseball. Um, I don't remember if that. Yeah, that kept Arkansas undefeated um, for another few days. LATEC beat them on, on the Sunday in the finale. But uh, that was that. That's definitely one that that springs to mind. Devin Ortiz for uva in the postseason um you're winning that regional um oregon state walking off dbu uh in game six of that regional to force a a rematch which of course dbu did win but uh you know that was that was a crazy regional um yes there were plenty of walk-offs uh those were those are some of the, the more memorable ones uh, for me. But I also, I mean, like, I feel like Arkansas had like five walk-offs. Like, mm-hmm. yes, Kevin Copps was unbelievable and great fun to watch and everything. But also, like, for a while, they were just felt like everything was walk-offs for, for Arkansas.
0: It was, yeah. I will also remember Arkansas, like, Charlie Welch becoming a cult hero. For oh, yeah. A lot of, of people mentioned Charlie <laughs> Welch. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a strange... Strange time there. Yeah, it's funny how we we kind of make these cold heroes out of out of things. It's it's one of the things that's great about the sport, frankly. um, That sometimes, yes, we love the players who are going to go on to great things in professional baseball, but we also love that we create cold heroes out of guys we'd never heard of. You know, Um, yeah, that that was uh, yeah the walk a lot of walk offs. I, I I do recall that more generally, but specifically, the one that sticks out to me was actually in Omaha, probably. One of the more memorable individual games, a game that will really stick with me, was Vanderbilt and Stanford in Omaha. Um, you know, looked like Vanderbilt was was on the ropes. You know, Stanford was up at, I think, 1.5 to 2. Yeah, I'm looking at the box score now. They were 4 to nothing and then 5 to 2 at various points. Um, Stanford at this point, pitching staff kind of running on fumes. They bring back Brendan Beck uh, in relief. And, you know, we see this go kind of sideways so often. Or, or it's clear from moment one that, okay, this was a, this was not a good idea. But Brendan Beck was actually awesome for, like, the first two innings that he was in there and really until the last out. Um, but, you know, then Vanderbilt makes a comeback with, you know, uh, an Enrique Bradfield Jr. RBI single that ties at 5-5. And then, of course, um, you felt for Brendan Beck because the, the walk-off win for Vanderbilt came on a, a wild pitch, you know, ball to the backstop. Um, from Beck. And so that was, you know, heartbreaking for the kid and for the team, but just a really incredible game. And it was at that point that I kind of had to entertain the idea of like, maybe Vanderbilt is a little bit of a team of destiny here. Um, because they also were setting up pretty well with their pitching. I mean, they got through that game there, uh, with Christian little starting and you kind of knew if Vanderbilt was going to win, especially once they took a loss in, in Omaha, you knew they were going to have to win at least a game and probably multiple games with someone other than Rocker and Lighter on the mound. Now, obviously that did not work out for them, but getting this win made me think, okay, you know, they, they may actually may be able to do this, um, but that, that's a game I think that'll stick with me specifically because it was just, you, you had a lot going on in terms of narrative in that game that, that played out. And of course you get a dramatic ending on top of it.
1: Uh, two, two for me, and then we can, uh can move on uh if we want. I, we we could sit here doing this all day probably. Um one to uh that also got mentioned a lot in the in the replies. Uh I don't we've never seen anything like that. Probably will never see anything like that again. A guy, you know, fighting injury off like that to uh you know putting off surgery so that he could come out and DH and then doing it as well as he did for as long as he did and helping oldness to uh, to a super regional uh, that was special. And then I, on a personal level, uh, the Oma Irish were a ton of fun. We had a lot of fun with them on the podcast. Uh, obviously, I mean, on some level, like I, I felt a little guilty about like my my embrace of the Oma Irish just because like I, yeah, I, I picked them as my Omaha sleeper. But like if I had thought that they were going to win the ACC and everything, we would have ranked them in the preseason last year, I wouldn't have been able to make them by Omaha sleepers. So they exceeded even and they exceeded all expectations. I was maybe a little early to seeing that the ceiling was there, but I, I you know, they they were better than I even dreamed of. And, uh, you know, watching the way it happened, Nico Cavadas hitting
0: some absolutely mammoth home runs, uh, that that was a lot of fun. Yeah, no doubt. Good call there. Um, yeah, getting out of this segment without mentioning the season that Notre Dame had would have been um, a miss on our part. So, yes, the, the good memories there with uh, with Notre Dame. And, you know, it was just nice. I think the, the big thing there for me, I, you know, I guess I could make this into a large point. It was kind of nice in this weird, um, you know, this weird cobbled-together season we did where some conferences were playing, well, not at all, I guess, in, in some cases, but we're playing just conference games, you know, the Big Ten, a couple teams out west. Um, you know, other, uh, the the Metro Atlantic, obviously, which shout out Fairfield, that's probably somebody we should mention here. Um, shout out Fairfield for the season they had. Um, but in this cobbled together season that we ended up with, it was kind of nice when it came right down to it, that we had some some teams returning to the top shelf of college baseball, like Notre Dame. They'd been there before under pulmonary. They were not complete strangers, but it'd been a long time. But also, you know, you saw Louisiana tech be good enough to host. You saw old dominion um, who would have hosted had they, you know, put in a bid to host. They
1: they were good enough to host.
0: Yes. They were. So there were one seed in Columbia. Like you did see some, some new blood um, in terms of the teams that were in the upper crust of college baseball. And some of that was some of that because of the unique nature of the season. And Hey, those conference USA teams got to play mostly regular full schedules, like maybe, um, but whatever the reason, it was kind of nice that we, We did get some new blood in some high places in college baseball
1: no doubt about that uh all right so we uh we reminisced now let's uh let's turn our attention to that wonderful new year's tradition of resolutions these don't have to be like pure resolutions and um they aren't necessarily resolutions for me just kind of resolutions for the sport or hopes for the sport so Uh, I got two, Joe, so I'll I'll, I'll start with one of mine, and and you can hop in then. Um, Last year, I said that I'd just be happy with any college baseball season, and that I resolved not to complain about much of anything, just as long as there was a season. And generally, I want to take that energy into 2022. Um, You know, we're seeing college basketball right now, the NFL, uh, the NBA dealing with further COVID complications, and you know, I mean, the, that same stuff could could happen in baseball as well. Uh, it has some advantages over some of those sports, you know, over basketball specifically, um, just given that it's outdoors. But you know, again, I mean, we're we're still dealing with this. It's still unpredictable, and you know, hopefully, we we can avoid any of the rest of that. But uh, I, especially after last year is a little bit weird. You know, we, we played baseball. There was baseball to be played. Um, but it was still a little weird. You know, there were, like Joe said, there were conference only schedules. There were a lot of conferences playing like four game series on weekends and therefore not midweek. It, It just wasn't like a full on season in a lot of ways this year we are expecting Pretty much just a full-on season uh you know welcoming the ivy league back into action and, and all the rest of it so i i think i i just want to be as as happy as i can be that you know it, it should be back to a, a fully normal season hopefully without the uh you know weird selection of regional host sites again that just get back to to college baseball as as you know the the base level that we
0: understand it to be a good one. That is that is a, a good one. It's a good attitude to have going into the season. Understanding, of course, that you and I will probably be complaining about some petty BS like in April,
1: Yeah, I mean to know, say like... <laughs> I didn't complain at all last year, that would be incorrect. But I mean I, I just generally I want to I want to be appreciative of it for, more than yeah, anything.
0: Right, right. A, a good resolution to have. I will I will fully co-sign that one. You know, I, I also wrote down just like minimal COVID disruption. Obviously no one really has control over that. I mean, some control, but you know, let's be honest, like really not that much control. Um, so that's just kind of a hope as much as anything else. My personal resolution uh, we've talked about this kind of jokingly, but it is serious. You know, I, I, I am efforting to get the PAC 12 network for this season. Um, so to that one person who sent the review on Apple reviews, who's like, Teddy knows the one I'm talking about. Cause he's laughing. There's a review on there. That's like, Come on, guys! You can't just complain that you can't watch the Pac-12 games. Talk about more West Coast baseball. Which, first of all, I feel like we talked about plenty of Pac-12 last year. Like, I feel like we I talked about the Big West a lot. Yeah, like I felt. I actually felt. Now he may have tuned in. To be fair, like because I'm not meaning to just make fun of this guy, but like he may have been, uh, you know, uh, listened to an episode where we didn't hit on a Pac-12 series. So okay, that that's I guess a fair criticism that maybe there was a series we missed there, but. We did generally talk about a lot of Pac-12 and Big West last year.
1: Do you um, remember when I declared Irvine and Oregon State as the most fun series
0: of the year? <laughs> it's the real
2: thing see, that happened.
0: <laughs> see? Plenty of West Coast baseball. But regardless, I'm efforting to get the Pac-12 network this season. Um, so my resolution is to is to watch a little more West Coast baseball. And you know Pac-12 is going to be a big part of that, but also the Big West. I mean, I think we, we've talked about it quite a bit in the off season, but the big West is a really interesting league this year. You've got really good players led of course by Brooks Lee, but also, you know, UC Santa Barbara's got some guys uh, led by Jordan Sprinkle. There should be some teams. that will be really good. UC Irvine. We think is really good. You know, there are a lot of people who think long beach. I think it, it, you know, uh, people on this podcast, matter of fact, think if long beach had played a full season, that's probably a regional caliber team, whether or not, I mean, I'll say
1: they were regional caliber team anyway. If Michigan sure. got in, why was Long Beach not in? But I
0: digress. Sure, like um, so they were they were good. You know, kind of got robbed of of being able to fully fill their potential by the by the way the schedule happened with them playing only conference games. Um, so it, you know, I think there's just a lot of interesting stuff happening out in the on the West Coast. So one of my resolutions is to is take advantage of the fact that I've you know looking to get the Pac-12 network, but also use that as an opportunity to watch more West Coast in general. Um, not because I feel like we've been giving it short shrift. Um, but I have felt like, you know, because we weren't able to see so many of the best games in the PAC 12 week to week, and we're following like listening on, I would listen on audio streams, which is great, but like you, you don't catch everything there or I'm following even worse. I'm just following like the game tracker or whatever. Um, there was a lot of that just out of necessity. So I'm looking forward to changing that, uh, this coming season.
1: Yeah. With the PAC 12 network could change this, this could be their resolution. They, mm-hmm. they could,
0: they could get a real like smart TV app. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, that that would also be, while we're on the topic, that would also be <laughs> so, I, You know, in a related one, there's so more of an on the field thing. I would like to say, I don't know if this is a resolution. I don't know how to word this as a resolution, but there, there's a whole group of of teams that, so there's, let me back up a little bit. There's this kind of theory that, that I have, and I'm not the only one who's thought of this. Like I hear it, I've heard it said on a, actually one of the college football podcasts I listen to, you know, talks about how your, your thoughts on the way things should be in a given sport are largely framed by what the sport looked like when you were going through your formative years as a sports fan, right? And so we've actually talked ad nauseum about me becoming a college baseball fan in the early to mid aughts, I would say from 2000, Two to 2005 or six is probably the, the big window of me like really becoming a college baseball fan and it obviously just continued from there and so with that in mind there's like this this kind of whole group of of programs that really had their moment around men that haven't been the same uh, sometimes in some cases since then um, in some cases it's been more of a slow petering off but there are reasons for optimism in a number of these places so I'm talking about about Fullerton. They're bringing Jason Dietrich in. We talked to him on the podcast, like their, their, their um, struggles have just been the last several years. Um, But I think we can describe their struggles most recently as as profound. So there's that there's also rice new coach, Jose Cruz jr. Hoping to kind of get something started back there. Not too dissimilar from when he was a player there Uh, USC, you know, back-to-back top 25 recruiting classes for Jason Gill. I'm working on the PAC 12 preview. Now, let me tell you, The climb back up the Pac-12 is really difficult right now because there are a lot of quality teams there. So whether or not they can pull that off anytime soon remains to be seen, but certainly there's positive momentum there. And so, you know, I would kind of like to see, you know, you can even really lump Tulane into this, although Tulane had a nice run under David Pierce. You know, a couple of regionals there. I don't want to completely discount that, but they haven't really gotten back to what they were in, say, you know, 2001 to 2005. Um, So you can even lump someone like Tulane in there. Um, Wichita State, maybe. You know, I can sit here and spitball names over and over. Um, But I would like to see some of those programs that were really a part of the fabric of college baseball when I was getting into it uh, make their move back up. Um, Maybe that's not possible. We've talked a lot also on this podcast about how the shifting sands of college baseball have made it to where some of these programs, it's hard for them to compete at the same level they used to because uh, the economics of the game have changed. The geography of the game has changed. There are a million little reasons for that. Um, But just for me, purpose, uh, personally, selfishly, um, I would like to see some of those names back at the top of the heap.
1: In a somewhat related note, it would be great if Conference USA, if this is the last season of the Conference USA as we know it, and that's unclear right now. But a build on the momentum from last year, like sustain that momentum, and b if this is the last season as we know it, uh, go out with as big of a an impact as as possible like get a team back to supers at least you know uh we we saw you know some incredible things from that conference last year historically a really good conference um and and it would be great to to see them you know send it off this iteration of it before they regroup in the american 2.0 um send, send that off with uh with the with some fireworks. Um, I think that would be fun. Uh the just the the development of CUSA last year was was a lot of fun to watch and it would be great if uh if we could get more stories like Charlotte and ODU and LaTeX and you know Southern Miss isn't in that same kind of story because Southern Miss has just been so much more consistent. But those four teams or somebody else in the lead, UTSA, Rice, FAU, whoever uh can can come and uh add to the fun, even though that would be, that would be fantastic.
0: Well, certainly you Uh, know, I'll co-sign that one. I grew up on C. Yeah,
1: (laughs) no doubt, no doubt about it. Um, this one is like an impossible resolution for anyone to keep. And honestly, I hope it doesn't even like get into a place where we have to think about this, but look, if, if the MLB lockout is going to continue, and it clearly is right now, they're not talking, Um, if it gets to a point where they're pushing things back, whether that's spring training, or especially if it's a regular season games, I hope that everyone in like college baseball at large, like ESPN, important people at like making programming decisions and people that are in leadership positions of conferences can like talk to the partners uh, and figure out a way to fill the void that a lockout costing regular season games or even just costing uh spring training for a while fill that void with with college baseball you know if if they can't play on sunday nights on espN i mean i have no idea what espn would do with that that time slot on sunday night but if that time slot is available like and you know find a way espn, find a way to, to shift, whether it's your big 12 property, your ACC property, your sec property, whatever, shift some game into that, into that's that, that time slot. Like that would be incredible for college baseball. And like I said, I, I hope it doesn't come to that. I hope major league baseball gets its act together and that they come up with a new CDA and, you know, they're able to play the season as scheduled, but if they aren't, and even if it is just in spring training, you know, ESPN has inventory that that's supposed to be spring training inventory, and countless regional networks have have inventory that's supposed to be that. If there can be a way to work to get the college baseball product onto those platforms, like that would be amazing. And look, maybe it can't be the SEC onto the regional networks because of the the way the rights are, are figured. I don't care. Get Conference USA onto that. Get the Sun Belt onto that. Get get the West Coast Conference onto that. Whoever it is, any of it, there's great college baseball being played everywhere. Get Brooks Lee onto MLB Network. I I don't care how this. You know I don't I don't really care who. I don't really care where. Uh, I just think that there's a great opportunity for it to happen if Major League
0: Baseball shoots itself in the foot. Yeah, I mean they're in a position there's so much college baseball particularly i mean espn is obviously best equipped to do this because they already have relationships with many of these conferences and so many college games are being broadcast on espn plus or the you know acc network or sec network extensions that are that are web only especially early in the season um, when they're sharing a window with with basketball but you know they're they're in a position where it would be pretty easy for ESPN to do, because all you'd really kind of have to do is change that, what was going to be an online stream and just put it over the air. And you may have to put a few more production resources around it to make it look like a, a TV quality broadcast as opposed to a web quality broadcast. But um, that would be, seems like a fairly easy thing to do. So I, I, am with you. Uh, I hope for the sake of uh, our teammates here at Baseball America, that there is not an extended lockout that, that causes a lot of disruption there because uh, you know, that would, uh, That would not be fun for that group who kind of lives and dies with on the pro side. Um, But it would be an opportunity for college baseball there. It's a little bit reminiscent, speaking of my formative years, it's a little bit reminiscent of when there was, I believe it was the NHL lockout that was causing it. Um, But I want to say it was the 2005 season, maybe it was 2006 season. Um, But one of those two seasons, there there was an NHL lockout that was affecting Um, this is before ESPN had lost the rights to NHL. Now they have the back, obviously. Um, but so there was just gaps all over the, all over the the broadcast schedule and college baseball filled a lot of that. And to your point about, Hey, put on Sunbelt, put on CUSA. Um, they put some wild stuff on there. Like not, you know, uh, not low, low major conferences, but yeah, like, yeah, sure. They played sec and ACC games, but there were also random big 10 games on there. And that was. big 10 baseball in 2005 was in a different place (laughs) than where it is now um it was not necessarily uh, the first conference you'd think of to put on espn on a friday night but that's the kind of thing that was happening and so it was um it was kind of crazy like to go from i've talked about it before when we've had guests on the podcast we've riffed on it before like there was just a time where college baseball was really hard to come by on tv and so there was this one glorious season where because of a lockout in pro sports there was college baseball all over tv um and so it was just a, a nice little treat and of course it, it didn't stick you know they of course the, the next year they went back to kind of a, a, the more normal and there was very little college baseball on tv again but certainly they're in a better position now if something like that were to happen that, that they could they could spin that up pretty quickly i would think um to put college baseball all over tv and and hopefully if 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 it comes to that and, and again we hope it doesn't uh, that would be a little bit of a, a silver lining for for baseball writ large
1: all righty those are our resolutions for this year and uh you know we'll we'll see where where this all takes us uh again hopefully there is no no lockout but uh food for thought food for thought that that's uh, that's where i'm at here um joe has the convention to get to we have plenty of preview stuff to get to so we'll uh we'll we'll, we'll wrap it up here uh you can follow us on twitter i'm at ted cahill joe is at joe healy ba there is plenty to read over at baseballamerica.com i just re-ranked the 2016 recruiting classes so if you want to know how the top 20 what the top 25 recruiting classes were with the benefit of hindsight you can check that out over at baseballamerica.com and find uh, the full uh, story about Chris Hart winning the Baseball America Assistant Coach of the Year Award as written by Joe. So uh, check that out. Subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcasting app uh, you you use the most. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Leave us a review if you can uh, over on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate that. And uh, hey, if you uh, like us not talking about the, big, or, uh, the Pac-12, let that one guy in the in the reviews know you know your choice. Um Joe I think uh, I think that wraps it up for us. We'll we'll be back here next week hopefully with a guest hopefully to get back into uh our normal schedule. For now we're going to leave it at once a week but coming soon I think we'll we'll ramp it up to twice a week again here but uh make sure you subscribe so that you uh you just get them straight to your phone and you don't have to worry about our schedule. For Joe, I'm Teddy Thank you all for listening to this edition of the Baseball America College podcast. We'll talk to you next week.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving.